right. Open your Bibles to Judges 6. Judges 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10 this evening. And the title is Israel Reduced to Ruin. Israel Reduced to Ruin. And before we look at Gideon in particular, we're going to look at our first study tonight as to why, why Gideon was sent to deliver Israel. Most of us want to know God's plan for our lives, but we're not always sure how to find out. One common misunderstanding is the idea that God's guidance will come to us out of the blue. That has nothing to do with what we're doing that, you know, has to do with what we're doing at the moment. But if we're always looking around for God's next assignment, whatever he wants us to do, we risk ruining whatever we're doing for him at the moment. Fortunately, the Bible points to a kind of guidance that doesn't put what we're doing at the moment for the Lord at risk. In the Bible's descriptions of how God guided many people, we can see that many times God calls to us or, and to others came while they were totally occupied in the thing that they were doing at the moment. And a good example of this kind of guidance is seen in Gideon's life. Gideon had limited vision, but he was committed to what he was doing. And his challenge was to get food for his family, even though hostile invaders were making the growing and the gathering and the preparation of the food very, very hard, almost impossible. But Gideon was resourceful. He put a wine press to double duty by turning it into a sunken threshing floor. But it didn't have ventilation. And again, that, that, that the, the threshing floor needed for the, uh, the chaff to be blown away from the wheat. But at least it was hidden from the Midianites. So Gideon was working in his threshing floor when God sent him a messenger with a challenge. And Gideon was surprised by what God told him to do. He didn't want to jump into a job that he wasn't ready to do, that he wasn't prepared for. The angel that came to Gideon, had to overcome three objections from Gideon before he was convinced this was a call from God. He had to, he had to uh, get to Gideon's uh, his feelings. Gideon's feelings of responsibility for his family welfare. Secondly, his doubts about the call itself. And that's always, you know, one of the things that we think about and, and doubt, is this really God? Is God really, you know, calling me to do this? And third... Again, his feelings of inadequacy for, inadequacy for the job. And a lot of times that's another thing that we, we, we think about and we object to is, God, you know, I can't do this. I'm not qualified. But once Gideon got past these three things, these three objections, he obeyed with excitement. He obeyed with resourcefulness and he did it quickly. He dedicated his personality traits, those traits that he had, to God with whom he was not personally acquainted. Gideon had his weak moments and he had his failures, like all of us do. But he was still God's servant. So if you can you know, see yourself in Gideon's weakness, which is usually the easiest thing to do, can you also see yourself in, in being willing to serve when God calls? Now remember, Gideon is a man who obeyed God by giving his attention to what he was doing at the time. Then give your full attention to believing 
that God will prepare you for tomorrow when it comes. Gideon is the top underdog. Gideon was a nobody. And yet he was called to lead the nation of Israel against a mighty enemy. And that enemy was the Midianites. And he just about stood alone against the worship of Baal. And yet he successfully tore down the altar of Baal and he replaced it with an altar to the Lord, which had to be done if Israel was going to get victory over the oppressive Midianites. Gideon was limited to only 300 men. And with these few men, with these 300 men, he defeated 135,000 Midianites and gave Israel one of its most miraculous victories ever. Just like David in his victory over Goliath, Gideon is a great inspiration to all those you know, who had tried to do great things for God, even though they are at, they, they're at great disadvantages. His life, Gideon's life, teaches us that what seems like overwhelming difficulties can be successfully met head-on by anyone if, they're only, if, if they'll only deal you know, with these difficulties by faith in God and His Word. That, that's the way we get victory over difficulties. Again, by faith in God and His Word. Gideon's great and inspiring work of delivering Israel from the Midianites, it, was, it wasn't long. You know, it's kind of like a, 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 the 4th of July fireworks. You know, they're bright and they're spectacular, but they don't last long. And yet Gideon is in the Hall of Fame, the, the, the Hall of Faith. Now he's, he's a Hall of Faith man. Even though what he did only lasted for maybe a few short days, maybe a week or so. The rest of his life, after his great victory over the Midianites, isn't spoken much about. There's not, not a lot in detail in Scripture we just know enough to show who he was, which, is, which wasn't great to see. He was morally poor, and he was spiritually shameful. And so while he's a great encouragement to the underdog, he's also a great warning to the victorious. You know, a warning that continued victory over evil won't come unless we walk consistently by faith. We might... We might have great accomplishments in the past, may have done great things in the past, but those won't secure victory for us for tomorrow if we don't continue to live by faith in God and His Word. So again, like I said, before we start our lesson, we have to first realize the condition of things in Israel before we can understand the difficulty of Gideon's call, because this will help us to see Gideon's hesitation, why he hesitated why he was distressed about the call, and why he felt the hopelessness of carrying out this duty with any success. Gideon came on the scene during the time of the judges in Israel. This, was, uh, this period was approximately 400 years after Israel settled in Canaan under Joshua's leadership and before the monarchy that began with King Saul. It was a really dark time in Israel's history. And it says in Judges 21, 25, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Now here again is the reason for Israel's ruin. Verses 1 through 4 here, there were two reasons for Israel's decline. So let's begin in chapter 6 now with verse 1. It says, Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. First of all, all right, the children of Israel did evil. That is, that, that was sin. 
They sinned. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. So this was the main reason for their decline. Sin always brings suffering that's that's many times avoidable because of the, the choices that we make. The sin that they committed was not obeying God's voice. Let's jump down to verse 10 real quick. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of, of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So the particular sin that God's people were guilty of was worshiping the god Baal. You know, what or who, what or who you worship will affect how you behave, how you conduct yourself. And because the Israelites worshiped Baal, they would also be guilty of terrible, gross wickedness. Behavior that always accompanies, accompanies idolatry. Wicked behavior always accompanies idolatry. Good doctrine, on the other hand, raises our morals. But bad doctrines does the opposite. It's obvious by the way our society behaves today. You know, again, it, they have no morals. They seem to have no morals. And if they do, they're, you know, they're, they're not practicing any. Notice that Israel's evil was done, it says, in the sight of the Lord. Again, everything we do, God sees. Nothing is hidden. No sin is hidden from God's eyes. He's omniscient. He knows everything. He sees, he knows all things. He knows all about us. Now, we might be able to hide our thoughts and what we do from people, but never from God. The second reason for Israel's decline was the invasion of the Midianites. The Midianites was the instrument that God used, again, for chasing Israel. And it says in verse 1, He delivered them, that is Israel, into the hand of Midian. Now, remember this. When we're disciplined, it's not the chastening rod that's our primary problem. All right? It, it causes more problems. The suffering from the, as, as a result of the consequences of our sin. But again, that chastening rod is not our main problem. It's that which causes the chastening rod, which is sin. The power of any enemy is put in his enemy's hands, again, by the unfaithfulness of God's people. It's not the enemy that's our problem. It's our own faith unfaithfulness that causes the enemy to inflict us and cause suffering. And we see here that the invaders of Israel were mostly Midianites. But Scripture tells us that the invaders also included Amalekites, which were people from the east. East of the Jordan River, from the deserts to the east of Palestine. The Midianites were descendants of Esau. And scriptural records of the Midianites tell us that they behaved wickedly towards Israel during Moses' time. And along with Moab, they tried to get Balaam to curse the Israelites when they were led by Moses to Canaan. But it didn't work. Then they tried corrupting the Israelites through their women. And because of the evil of the Midianites towards Israel, God commanded Moses to deal with them in Numbers chapter 25. And Moses did as he was commanded. And what he did was effective for some 200 years before Midian came, became a problem to Israel. So again, this is a good lesson on how to deal effectively with evil. And again, it's a lesson that we'll see again in the story of Gideon. If we expect to conquer evil in our lives, we have to oppose it. 
We have to oppose it with all that we have, with great earnestness, and we have to oppose it strongly. The invasion made by the Midianites wasn't primarily a military invasion, like that of an army invading the land. Chapter 8 says the Midianites were armed with 135,000 men with swords. But they were more like a bunch of desert dwellers. They gathered together from all over different parts of the desert. And these gangs is basically what they were. These gangs would come into the land during harvest time when they could plunder. And verse 4 says they took all the produce of the earth. And verse 1 says for seven years. Every seven years, they came with their livestock in their tents, according to verse 5, and they would encamp against them. Uh, That is Israel in verse 4. So it wasn't a small group. It was a large army of people and animals that swarmed across the land. They they swarmed across the country like a a plague of locusts, according to verse 5. And the Midianites simply dominated the land. So Israel didn't have control over their land anymore. And that's what happens with sin. Sin always takes away control. Israel bowed to the gods of the heathen, so they must now bow to the bullying of the heathen. And if we act like the Israelites acted, we'll suffer like they suffered. Gideon certainly had to deal with a terrifying group in order to deliver Israel. And again, that was why he was so hesitant and distressed and felt that he couldn't do it. It was made up of some old and vicious enemies. That is the uh, enemies of of Israel. Made up of some old and vicious enemies of Israel who had gained a great foothold in the land. So it's going to take great commitment, real dedication to fight the good fight against the enemies of righteousness. It's going to take a commitment and dedication that we don't see a lot of every day. And especially today. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 and verses 4 and 6 again. Let's look at 1 through 2. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. Because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, uh, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. Look at verse 4. It goes on to say, Then... They would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey. Verse 6. It says, So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So, so Israel was imprisoned and, and, and brought to nothing. They became really poor because of what the Midianites had done here. In verse 1, 2, 4, and 6. Verse 2 says, when the hordes of Midianites and their allies swarmed into Israel, the Israelites moved from the plains where their fields were, and they moved into the mountains basically to hide. Scripture gives us three kinds of places where they hid. Verse 2 says they hid in dens or a ravine that was hollowed out by heavy rains, which the Israelites turned into hiding places. And then there were caves, verse 2 says. Caves that could hold thousands of people. And then there were strongholds, verse 2 also says, fortresses that were like dwellings. Israel, being afraid of the Midianites, not only plundered their crops, but sometimes also murdered the people. Judges chapter 8. And they basically became virtual prisoners of the robbers by moving into these hiding places. And this hiding was necessary at the time. 
as necessary as it may seem, was all the same, their hiding was really a cowardly action. It showed that Israel didn't have the character to put up much resistance to this evil invasion of their land. The Israelites simply ran and they hid. Now, the heart that walks away from God is lost. They don't only lose God, but they lose what is good. They also lose what is great. But again, that's what sin does. Sin discourages men and it makes them sneak off to hide in their caves and in their dens. So Israel's behavior is copied by a lot of people in our own land, like those who protest any war. Now, we know that war is not something that, that we want. But Ecclesiastes 3.8 tells us that there's a time of war and a time of peace. And under the guise of being for peace, they oppose you know, they oppose uh, any armed conflict with, other, with, with others, no matter why, it's, why they've gone to war, no matter what the issue is. They're limit, that's because they're limited in their reasoning, because they never seem to realize that there are times when it's better to shed some blood now rather than much more later on. And it's kind of the thinking who condemns the U.S. way in the back, remember, for dropping the A-bomb, a terrible time, because of the number of casualties that it resulted in. But again, they won't admit that that A-bomb stopped a war and prevented a lot more casualties than it produced. Again, it's the attitude that wants peace at any price. Forgetting that, again, forgetting that that kind of peace isn't peace at all. But no matter how clever these pacifists are, or their talk is, we need to remind them that it's usually corruption in character that produces this kind of attitude. Unwillingness to deal firmly with evil is the result of, of lack of character. It was Israel's problem then, and it's also a problem in our society today. And it even shows up in churches today, refusing to stand up against the disgruntled people in the church. But again, this kind of behavior isn't goodwill in, in its corruption. Look at verse 4 and verse 6 once more. Verse 4 says, Then... They would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. Verse 6. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. So the Midianites didn't just take the fruit of the crops, the food. They also took the Israelites' livestock. So it was a total plundering of the land that left the land in ruin uh, materially. It was a disaster for their economy. But Israel was only reaping what they had sown. And there was, there was considerable justice in their experience because, again, it, it's because of the result of their sin. And so, again, God was justified in, in allowing to happen what took place. Because of their idolatry, they failed to honor God with their possessions. <clears throat> and scripture tells us to, to honor God with our possessions. What they should have been giving God, they gave to Baal, a false god, a god that isn't a god at all. So now the Midianites take all that Israel had as a result. Israel had the same trouble in the time of the prophet Hosea. Listen to Hosea chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, For she did not know that I gave her grain, new wine, and oil. And multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. 
Therefore, I will return and take away my grain in its time and my new wine in its season, and I will take back my wool and my linen given to cover her nakedness. Israel experienced God's blessings, but they used their blessings for the wrong things. Instead of honoring God with the blessings that God gave them, they honored Baal, and that cost them everything. And this problem continues today. God blesses us in a lot of areas. But again, instead of using these blessings to honor Him, we use them kind of in in a sense to depart from Him because we don't use them for Him. God gave us things like health and wealth and convenience and time to serve Him faithfully. But instead of service, you know, we just, we we don't want to serve or, or, or we give Him excuses. And people with all kinds of advantages complain that they're just not able to serve, to serve the Lord. And this attitude, you know, again, um, is, is, is a way in a form of, of, of having their, their blessings, you know, lessened. Seriously thinking about this will prevent the loss of further blessings because it will cause us to, you know, to, to fix the way that we think, to correct our wrongdoing, and to be better stewards of what we still have left. Look at verses 6, verses 6 and verse 8. Once again, verse 6 and verse 8. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Verse 8. That the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt, and I brought you out of the house of bondage. So here's the effect of the ruin that we've just been looking at, why God brought ruin upon Israel. Here's the effect of that ruin. Israel's troubles were productive. In other words, it helped them. Notice, because they res- it resulted in, them, in Israel coming back to God. And, and a lot of times, you know, that's what God's plan is. God allows this suffering and these consequences and the conflict in our life to bring us back to Him if we've walked away. And this often happens. Trouble drives us back to God. And it would be better if, you know, it would be better if we responded to God's rebuke right away, you know, instead of having to always be brought down by God, to be cut down and then put in painful circumstances, you know, before we really, you know, finally turn to God. So the effect that ruin had on the Israelites seen here was it brought about prayer. And it brought about preaching. And verse 6 says there, their troubles with the Midianites caused Israel to pray to God. Notice it says that Israel cried out to the Lord. Look at verses 7 and 8. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. When, when God delivered them, it, it could have been a lot sooner than seven years. But Israel watched the Midianites just strip their land bare at harvest time and steal their livestock. But they finally got around to praying. But why did they wait so long before they went to God in prayer? Well, it's because when, when we're far from God... We're not motivated to talk to God. We're not motivated to do much praying. And you know, a lot of times people are in such bad ways and they're in bad situations and circumstances. And, and we tell, hey, you know, you know, go to God. 
God's the answer to your problems. God, you know, give him your problems. Hand them over to him. And, you know, he's, he's the fixer. He can take care of it. But a lot of times they'd rather remain in their problem than go to God, than allow him to take control of their life and to have the, the problems that they're dealing with. And, you know, and then they have to wait until they become so low, you know, that all they can do is look up. But sooner or later, man, you know, when, when, when God deals with us, you know, he's going he's gonna to bring us, it's going to draw us to him. Again, but when we're far away from him, when we're not walking with him, we're not motivated to do a lot of praying. When we're walking in disobedience to God, again, we don't have much interest in praying. Even though our troubles are just, are so many. But you see, prayer and disobedience don't go together. Prayer and disobedience don't go together. It's often the case that, that the people who have the most problems are the least likely to pray. What they're most likely to do is get mad at God. God, why are you doing this to me? Why, why are you letting this happen to me? Rather than, you know, confessing their sin and saying, Lord, forgive me. You know, help me in the things that I'm dealing with in, in, my, in my circumstances. You know, again, but when we're not walking with God, we do the opposite. We don't go to him. And this is one of the dangers of disobedience. It creates problems. And, it, and, it, and we're not interested and going to the place where the problems can be solved. So it makes us disinterested in going to where we know the problems can be solved. Verse 8 says, notice, as a result, the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. The basic meaning of the word cried is to cry out with a loud voice. So there was a great effort put forth in this prayer. It was a diligent prayer. And again, when things get tough... And we see, again, no way out, you know, of our own. Hey, we get serious when it comes to praying. We get serious with God. They weren't just going through the motions anymore. They weren't just mumbling through some prayer book. They, weren't, they were in great distress because of the ruin that covered their land. And as a result of this great distress, they cried out, God, help us. They cried out for relief. This was heartfelt prayer now being made by God's people. And heartfelt prayer is what's needed if our crying to God is going to be acceptable. You know, how can we expect God to be serious about something we're praying about if we're not serious about Him? God is not in the business of paying much respect to prayers that lack interest. You know, that aren't heartfelt. And if we're not sincere in our asking, we shouldn't expect God to be sincere, sincere in his response. See, the prayer was lacking. The prayer was deficient because of the priority of what was being prayed for. And a lot of times we don't think about that. What are we praying for when we pray? Lord, help me. Help me from this, this, this situation I'm in. Help me with, from, with the consequences that, that I'm dealing with, the results, you know, and, and it, because of our sin. But, you know, a lot of times we pray, Lord, deliver me from the consequences of my sin rather than deliver me from the sin that bring about the consequences. It's all about the priority of my prayer. So again, the, prior, the prayer was lacking because of the priority of what that prayer was concerned about. 
And some might wonder why. Why, you know, why this faulty praying here uh, for the deliverance of, of Midianite, the Midianites? Well, the reason is, is that Israel needed to first be delivered from the thing that caused the Midianites to come into the land. Again, that's why their prayer was faulty. But again, we look at what they go through. A lot of times we look at what people go through and we just think, oh, Lord, you know, help them out, which we do. We, we should pray for that. But we need what brought it on? Because that's the thing that we need to pray for most. You know, what brought on the, the suffering and the consequences that they're experiencing? And so again, you know, uh, the, the Israelites' prayer may have looked, you know, right on and, and you know, they prayed, and, but it was faulty because they were praying to be delivered from the consequences of their sin. So again, the answer is, again, to, for, uh, uh, so why their prayer was faulty is again, is, the, uh, is that uh, their, their sin is what caused the Midianites to come into the land and make them and desolate. The problem of the Midianites was the secondary cause, not the main cause to what they were experiencing. Again, the main cause was Israel's sin. But they weren't praying about their sin to God. They weren't praying to God to, Lord, help us to, to fix our sin. Help us to, to, to you know, um, get victory over this sin and to forsake our sin. You know, they, they, they weren't praying to God to encourage them to continue to seek Him for help and to start to answer and to start answering their prayer. God sent them a prophet who did some great preaching. Look at verses 7 through 10 now. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites, notice that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice." Notice, before he sent Gideon, he sent a prophet to give them a message. The prophet God sent to Israel had a good message, a message that Israel needed to hear. It was a message that, that Israel needed to hear, especially in Gideon's day. And the message gives us some important ingredients that need to be in every preacher's message in any age. The message included rescue. All right, it included deliverance. The message reminded Israel that God had rescued Israel you know, from great troubles in the past when he delivered them uh, from Egyptian bondage, mentioned in verse 9. So this reminder of what God had done for them in the past, you know, was, was for not uh, seeking Israel uh, or seeking God sooner. So again, it would be a rebuke for Israel not seeking God. So, hey, I, I delivered you in the past. Why haven't you sought me until now? It would also encourage Israel that God was able to deliver them from the Midianites as well as the, like he did from the Egyptians. And they were wise to come to God to, for help because he, God, Jehovah God, and not the idols that they had been worshiping was the one who could help them. So our messages need to remind people about the greatness of God just like we saw this morning in the introduction to Colossians. The greatness of our God, He's all that we need. We're complete in Him. 
and, and what he's already done for us. He'll do for us again. So the message reminds Israel of their responsibility to not go after other gods. And God had clearly commanded them in verse 10 here, notice, do not fear, that is, don't worship or serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. So it's the only right, it's only right, I should say, it's only right that they should be loyal to God who had delivered them from their enemies. We have a duty to fulfill, to be faithful to God for what He's done for us. Any attitude that, 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 to the contrary is totally ungrateful, and again, it's not wise. It's unreasonable. One of our great problems today is the lack of emphasis on our responsibilities to, on obeying God's commands. Jesus said, if you love me, obey me. That's, that's the test, the true test, you know, do we really love God? But again, it's, it's one of the big problems of today, obeying God's word. We seem mostly concerned about what we want God to do for us, but not that concerned about what he tells us to do for him. So the message rebuked Israel for their rebellion in verse 10. He said, you, you didn't obey my voice. That's the reason for why you're suffering and, and, and impoverished. This was the high point here of the message from the prophet dealing with their defect in their prayer. You guys are praying to, for God to relieve you of the consequences than to, to, to help you to forsake the sin that brought about the consequences. Again, Israel was mostly concerned about their distress. But God was mostly concerned about their disobedience, which brought their distress. Israel was mainly concerned about their material problems, where God was mainly concerned about their spiritual problems, which was the root cause of their material problems. You see, sin is at the bottom of everything that's wrong. We see the wisdom of God first, in delivering Israel from the problem of their sins before he delivered them from the problem of their suffering. So you see, he sends this prophet first to tell him, hey, here's the main problem in your life, it's sin. And when they recognized it was sin and when they truly repented with all of their heart, God, forgive me of my sin, give me victory to forsake this sin, then he would deliver them from the consequences of that sin. So the message first must be, our sin problem has to be dealt with before there will be deliverance. So again, we see the wisdom of God in first delivering Israel from the problem of their sins before he delivered them from the problem of their suffering that was a result of their sins. It would have been a mistake to deliver Israel from Midian without first dealing with their spiritual problem. Why? Because if the cause of the problem isn't dealt with, and Israel wouldn't be given the real help that they needed. And their, their sin would continue to go on. And that's what we see that in the, all of, in the whole book of Judges. You know, they did what was right in the sight of their own eyes. They'd cry out, God would deliver them. They'd be okay for a while. And guess what? They went right back to it. Right back to it. And so a, a, a prophet who charges the people for their sin has to come. That's why the prophet was sent before Gideon. The charges that the people were, was made against the people for their sin, 
that prophet must come, tell him that message before Gideon, who delivers the people from their suffering, would come. So before the people can be delivered from the evil of their circumstances, must first become convicted and sorrowful about the evil of their behavior. And again, this is always God's way. Dealing with the sin first, then the consequences. Just so, Remember John the Baptist came? He was the forerunner of Christ. John the Baptist must come first and proclaim to the people the sinfulness of their ways before Jesus the Savior came on the scene. Jesus must come first to save his people from the oppression of their sins before he saves them from here in this instance in the Gospels, the oppression of Rome. We have to preach the holiness of God before the redemption of God will properly be appreciated and received. And we first have to be burdened with the guilt of our sin. We have to be convicted and burdened with our sin before we'll be truly concerned about forsaking our sin. And that sin has to, you know, we have to hate sin. We have to just, you know, loathe sin and rebuke sin and forsake sin. Again, before, um, you know, uh, it will be, before we can forsake it. And a church asking God for help shouldn't be surprised if he sends them a preacher who knows how to preach against sin. And the world does not like this order of things, dealing with sin first and then the consequences. The people in Jesus' day, they were more concerned about the oppression of Rome than the oppression of sin. They thought that's why Jesus came, to deliver them from the tyrants and the, the tyranny and the dictatorship of Rome. He says, no, I came to deal with your sin. And so again, that's, that's the order that, that, that God deals with. Sin first. Everything after that. So in closing, we see today governments lay out billions of dollars for dealing with problems. For dealing with problems. Thinking that the money is going to take care of the problems. You know, millions, billions of dollars for welfare without dealing with the cause of welfare. Like choices that people make and many other things. Alcohol, immorality, just plain laziness. Churches preach a social gospel trying to take people out of the slums instead of removing the sins of the people that produce those circumstances. Rescue missions become more interested in, and again, addressing material needs of those that are there than addressing the need that are spiritual and moral. But again, it's the wrong approach. This kind of approach will never work in solving men's problems because it doesn't get to the root of the cause of the problem. But few seem to understand or are willing to, again, accept this truth today of how God works, which explains why we're not doing very good in, in, in solving the problems of, of society. Though we have tons of experts and programs and, and making tons of money to deal with the problems. These things that are highly praised by man. And yet, where are we today? We're get, things are getting worse and worse and worse. And they don't know how to fix it. Because they're, 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 they're looking to man. And man's ways to fix the problems that are spiritual. That are moral. And with the preaching of the prophet. That we see here that says the Lord sent a prophet to Israel. To, again, to tell them about their sin. So now, with the, now that the prophet, the prophet has come, 
and he's preached regarding their sins. Now the stage is set for Gideon, the next time we're together, for Gideon to come on the scene to deliver Israel because we saw that they cried out as a result, again, of their sin and their suffering. Hearts have been prepared now for Gideon to come and do his work that God has called him to do. So the days of the Midianite rule over Israel is coming to an end, and it's coming fast. And it's coming when God sends Gideon to deal with the Midianites. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you for, again, the great lesson, and that is of dealing with sin. Father, may we be aware of that, God, that the first thing in our life that has to be dealt with is sin before God will deal with the circumstances that our sin may have have caused, Lord. So, Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the lesson here. Father, we know that a prophet was sent, God, in order to deal with sin. And from the Old Testament to the New Testament times, God, prophets over the centuries came and told people about their sin, making us ready for the coming of Jesus Christ who could take care of our souls and, and deliver us to heaven, God. He came and delivered us, God, once the sin was taken care of, God. And it continues to be that way today, God. So again, if, if there's sin in your life and, and, you, and you're not born again, and, and uh, again, the first thing that has to be dealt with in your sin, <clears throat> and it comes, again, through, through confessing your sin, to tell Jesus, Lord, forgive me for my sins, to wash me of my sins, Lord, help me to hate sin, God. And Father, help me to, again, to live for you, to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior and to live for him and to come to know him and to develop a nurturing relationship with him, Father, and to walk with him all the days of your life. So uh, again, uh, if God is, the Spirit has convicted you, then Father, then uh, help them to make that, that choice, to make that Uh, commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you, and we look forward to, again, continuing our study uh, in the book of, of Judges, and especially with Gideon. And, Father, we just love you and give you praise, honor, and glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.